Okay, well I get to preach about the disciple Peter today, and that is exciting to me. Um, you know, there's so many things in the Bible that, that are very difficult to understand, so many things in the Bible that I study, and i got to read it a thousand times to understand it, and so, so many things that confuse me in the Bible. Uh, Peter is not one of those things. That, I think that's why I love to preach about Peter. I love to read the, uh, the moments in which Peter is involved because he just makes sense. Peter makes sense, and, and I think he's one of the most helpful people in all of the Bible to, to study um, because he's just this normal guy. He's, he's a normal guy who gets to live in close proximity to Jesus, and he, he has front row seats to the, the mysteries of the gospel unfolding in real time. What a privilege it, it, it is to be Peter to, to get to experience these things, right? And, and we, as, as readers of the Bible and as believers, we get to watch him react to all of these different things that happen as the gospel unfolds in the life and ministry of Jesus. And I think that's helpful, right? It's helpful for us to understand the, the significance of those events. It's, uh, it's, it's helpful for us to understand what's happening, what's really taking place. I mean, so many, so many moments uh, in the life of Peter are, are just incredible. I mean, just to think that he, uh, he, he lives in such close proximity to Jesus. I mean, Jesus literally lives with him for, for you know, a time. I mean, he, he stays at his house there in Capernaum. He, Peter's house becomes like the, the base of operation. And it's, it's pretty cool to think that Peter hosted that in his home. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. I, I, I'd like to think that if I lived in that time, like, wow, you Think about how cool it is to get to be the guy who hosts Jesus as he begins his ministry. Like, I hope I would have invited Jesus over to my house and, you know, gave him a place to stay, <laughs> cooked some meals for him or something like that. Peter got to be that guy. Peter got to be the guy who witnessed Jesus walking on water, and, and we get to see his reaction to it just so that we can really, again, just understand the significance and what's really happening in that moment. Jesus is walking on water. Well, in that moment, Peter's like, hey, c c call me out onto the water with you. I, I, he wanted to experience it. He wanted to, you know, to touch it, to, to see how it's working. I mean, it, it, to think that he had the presence of mind to get up out of that boat and walk out on the water towards Jesus. It's incredible. I mean, uh, he gets to have these experiences, and we get to, again, watch his reaction to really appreciate everything that's happening in that moment. Peter is the guy who rebuked Jesus. And again, that just makes sense. You know, does it make sense to rebuke the Son of God? No, but when you consider the information that Peter had in that moment, you know, Jesus is prophesying about his death and resurrection. It makes sense that Peter's going to speak up and say, no, that's not going to happen. There's no way. He's going he's to speak against that. It, you know, in the moment, with the information he had, that makes sense. Peter was also the guy who got to witness, or one of the guys that got to witness, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. What a monumental moment. It, it, Jesus is standing there with Moses and Elijah, they're having a conversation, and Peter gets to witness these things, and, and he interacts in a way that just makes sense. He says something kind of confusing, right? Hey, hey I want to, how about I make us some tents? 
Like, it's like, why did he say that? We don't even know why he said that. It was just this really awkward thing that Peter speaks up and says, but it makes sense. What are you going to say to Moses and Elijah and Jesus in eternity when you're hanging out with them, right? What's going to be the first thing you say to them? Hey, guys, <laughs> let's make some tents or something. You know, it just makes, he makes sense. And even when Peter, when we studied him just a few weeks ago, when he's chopping off the ear of the soldier that has come to arrest Jesus. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, on one hand, we're like, oh, no, you're taking on a whole army, you're going to die. But it makes sense. He's so loyal to Jesus, and at least to some degree, right, he's trying to protect him. What they're doing is wrong. They were going to arrest him on, on charges that are just wrong. And so he steps in. He's all heart. He's all passion. He's incredibly loyal. He's never going to deny Jesus, never going to fail him. He's going to protect him with, with violence if necessary. It at least makes sense, right? Peter makes sense. You know, it doesn't seem possible to think of anybody else that was any more loyal to Jesus than Peter was. It doesn't make sense to think that anyone was more committed to the cause of Christ than the, the, the apostle Peter. He had this really big personality, and he was completely resolved in his own mind that he was going to follow Jesus at all costs, at all costs. So even when Jesus tells him, prophesies, or, or, or talks about scripture that's going to be fulfilled in which they were all going to deny him, Peter's not having it, and it makes sense. No way, no way. Well, I've come this far, there's no way I'm going to, I'm going to scatter. But remember, remember that moment? Let me read it to you. It's just a, a page back here in, in Mark 14, uh, starting at verse 27. It says, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And so that's the moment we're studying today. We get to study the moment in which that prophecy is actually fulfilled. Jesus said... I'm going to be struck down and the sheep are going to scatter. Peter says, I'm not going to be scattered. Say, no, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. That's the moment we're going to study today in verses 66 through 72. So remember, Jesus, by this point in time, has just been arrested. Everything is out of Peter's control. And you know that drives Peter insane. Right now, nothing is going the way that Peter wants it to. Right now, for Peter, everything that he thought was true seems wrong and so while Jesus was on trial which is what we studied last time we were in Mark while Jesus is on trial before the Sanhedrin the the most powerful Jewish council in all of Israel being falsely accused being mocked being beaten while, while those things are taking place Peter is also on trial he's out in the courtyard just outside of that trial taking place but Peter's on trial in a different way he's not before the most powerful council in all of Israel, he's, he's, he's on trial before maybe the weakest Jew in all of Israel. A servant girl is what we're going to see. That's the contrast we're meant to see. And unlike Jesus, who was, who was uh, you know, wrongfully accused, Peter's going to be rightfully accused. And unlike Jesus, who, who remains silent, right, Peter's going to get really loud 
and he's going to attempt to save his life through lying while Jesus is being truthful and being falsely accused. The, the contrast, we're meant to see that. It's significant. So, Now remember, Jesus is on, he's, he's on trial before Annas, then he's on trial before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. Next week we're going to talk, talk about when he's before Pilate. But in between, when he's on trial before the high priest Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, I think we have this moment right here. So let's take verses 66 through 68 of chapter 14. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway. And the rooster crowed. There's that first rooster crow. So he's taken to the courtyard. So where they're, at, where they're at in the courtyard, remember Jesus is on trial here. This is where the high priest lives. So the high priest Annas, he would have lived there. The high priest Caiaphas, we talked about why there was two high priests last time. I'm not going to rehash that. He would have also lived there. Their entire families would have lived right there. So he's on trial. The Sanhedrin has come in here to, to meet with Caiaphas. Jesus is on trial with Annas, and, and, and so Peter comes to that courtyard, and he's trying to get as close as he can to be a fly on the wall. Peter's trying to be invisible right now, just trying to eavesdrop, trying to stay in the know. Remember, he's, he ran off when they arrested Jesus, but now he's doubled back, and he, he's, he's come here, and he's, he's just trying to be a fly on the wall. And we remember that John's gospel gives us a few details that are a little helpful here. How did he get into that courtyard? Wouldn't, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't that be uh, guarded and things like that? Well, yes, it, it would have been. We're told in John's gospel, in John 18, that the disciple John, he has some sort of connection that we're not really even certain what it was. He has some sort of, probably a family connection to the family of the high priests. And so he's, he's able to go in because the high priest family, they know him. Oh, that's John. He gets to come through here. And it's, P, and it's John that uh, takes Peter with him. And so he allows Peter to gain access to this courtyard where they can be within earshot of this trial that's taking place with Jesus and they can stay in the know. The servant girl that's here, John, John refers to her as the doorkeeper. So it's likely they would have had uh, armed guards there, but she was the one that took care of the list. Okay, you're on the list, you can come in, or you're not on the list or whatever, or okay, you vouch for him, okay, you can come on through. But she's looking at him. Now, if we were reading this in Greek, this is a little more intense. She didn't just glance at him. This servant girl is staring. So she's looking very intensely. She's, she's giving him the, the stank eye. Wait a second. I know that guy. You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. That's, what, that's the way she put it. Now, when you call someone a Nazarene, that was kind of a uh, slightly derogatory term. Um, you, that's a way you would put someone down, like if they were from Nazareth. Oh, you're from up north in Galilee, Nazareth. You're, you might remember uh, Nathaniel earlier in the, in the Gospel of John. He even, when he finds out Jesus is from Nazareth, he says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was kind of the attitude that people down south had about those northern Galileans where Nazareth is. Like, you come from Nazareth? Okay, can anything good come out of there? <laughs> I remember when I, when I first moved here, 
in this area in 2005 from Indiana, uh, you know, when my family found out I was moving to West Virginia, I like explaining to them that people in West Virginia had electricity and teeth and things like that, like, that was almost a surprise to them. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm like, no, it's, it's just like this. In Indiana, everybody makes fun of, fun of Kentucky, right? You're from Kentucky, and you guys probably make fun of Kentucky too, right? And so that's just how it goes, state to state. States make fun of each other. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's how people in Judea, they would have, like, talked about people from up north. Nazareth? Oh, okay, he's from Nazareth. So the servant girl's like, you were also with the Nazarene, Jesus. She probably said it with a tone or something like that. And Peter's response is over the top. Over the top. He's really trying to sell it here. I have no clue what you're talking about little girl. I have no idea what you're, who you're, who, who, who are you referring to? What? I mean, he's just playing stupid here, but it gets to him. Did you notice that he went out to the gateway? I mean, it gets to him. He gets nervous in this moment, and he rushes back towards where he came in, and so a lot of people think that at this point, he's, he's considering he's, he's going to bail. He's going to get out of here. He's having second thoughts, like this isn't safe, so it really gets under his skin. He has to take a second because he's losing his nerve to stay there. But what happens when he gets to the gateway? The rooster crowed. That's probably what stopped him in his tracks. Probably at that moment, he remembered what Jesus had just said to him, right? He, gets, he rushes back to the gateway. Now, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm out of here. And then he hears that rooster crow. Oh, no. Jesus said before the rooster crows twice, I'm going to deny him three times. Now, you better believe everything we know about Peter. You know how he's responding in this moment. That's not going to be me. No way. It stops him in his tracks. There's no way. I'm going to get back in there, right? But he's between a rock and a hard place. Imagine the tension. Like, we've all been in one of those moments in which we just don't know what to do. We're just stressed out, and we don't know what to do. We feel like no matter which direction we go, it's going to be the wrong direction. I think Peter is in that frame of mind at this moment in time. If I take off, if I bail, it's like I'm abandoning him. But if I turn around and charge back in, I just denied him once. What if I deny him again? Like, he, he feels like he's between a rock and a hard place here. You know, people that say, people that look at Peter and, and are overly critical of him, they blow my mind. Like, some people are just like, oh, man, Peter denied Jesus. I would never deny Jesus. Oh, okay. Well, you're more self-inflated than he was, and he was wrong. Of course you would. Nevertheless, that Peter's response uh, to the rooster crow, it, it, it it's a, it's a moment of thinking, which is rare for Peter, <laughs> right? Like, he'll speak first and think second. He'll act first and think later. But this stopped him in his tracks. He was able to think for a second. And he's going to turn around, and he's going to go back in. Read verses 69 with me through 71, or follow along. And, and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. So this servant girl, she, she won't let it go. Who is this girl? <laughs> this little servant girl. 
who's so persistent. Peter had to deny it again. This girl just won't give it a rest. Get out of here. Scram. She won't let it go. She's starting, to, starting some commotion. She's going around to people that are standing around, the bystanders. No, seriously, this guy was with the Nazarene. This guy's a, a Galilean. Even the bystanders are starting to pick up on the fact that he's Galilean. Well, how would they know he was Galilean? Matthew's the one who gives us that detail. He says that it, it was his accent that betrayed him. Right? They could tell by the way he talks, and Peter just never shuts up. He's, got, he's always talking. You know, it's, it, it, if you're going to identify anybody's accent, it's going to be Peter's, because he's always got something to say. He's running his mouth. He's arguing with this little servant girl, and they're picking up on the fact that he's a Galilean because he's got that hillbilly accent that people from Galilee would have had. That's, again, how they would have viewed that. And we, and we can have, you know, the same experience here. We don't think about accents then. Uh, but, man, we got a lot of accents right now. You know, you know when somebody's from deep in West Virginia, it, it's, it comes out pretty obvious, right? Or, or Kentucky. I mean, i got a lot of family in Kentucky. When I'm going there, I'm like, am I in a different country right now? Like, the accents are so strong. Well, that, they could tell where you're from just based on how you said words. And that was the situation in that moment. His accent betrayed him. Wait, he's saying he wasn't with Jesus? Well, listen to the way he talks. He talks just like a Nazarene talks like he's from Galilee. Now, it's John that gives us another detail. Now, again, if you want a homework test, you just need to go read John 18, and it's very helpful looking at the parallels there. That remember when Peter struck that soldier and chopped his ear off, Jesus healed, healed the man and everything? Well, you better believe they're still talking about that moment. As a matter of fact, a relative of that guy, and the, and the guy's name is told to us in John's account, it's Malchus, he has a relative that witnessed it, and he's there, also warming himself by the fire. And he's like, did I not see you in the garden with him? Like, I was there, buddy. You chopped off my cousin's ear trying to kill him. Yeah, I think I remember you in your stupid face. Right? I mean, these are, they, you can't, I can't forget it now. Tried to kill my cousin. So now Peter's getting desperate. He's just too easy to identify. He's easy to identify because of his big personality, his big actions. He's always reacting, right? And again, that's what makes it so helpful to understand Peter and to read about Peter. Those reactions help us understand, but he's got this big personality. You could spot Peter a mile away. What was he thinking? You know, trying to think that he could just blend in. Well, he's loyal. He's committed. He, he wants to do something. But he's so desperate to get out of this moment. He's so desperate to not be accused and, and caught in this moment that it says he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Now, okay, the ESV, you know I like to study different translations of the Bible, and I love to study the Greek and the Hebrew and things like that. And, it's, and when things don't line up there, when you're reading different translations, you know that the translators are having a hard time. Well, in this particular translation, the ESV, it says he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Now, if you're reading the King James Version, it just says that he's cursing and swearing. Now, the King James gets it right in that account because if you go back to the Greek, it's just a little more vague. He's cursing and he's swearing. Well, 
What does that mean? He's cursing and he's swearing. Well, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that he's using profanity. I mean, Peter may have been using profanity in that moment, but that's not what those words mean. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it at all. Peter was using profanity, whatever that was in that culture and time and language. But that's not what that is telling us. He is cursing and he is swearing. Here's what that means. He's swearing an oath before God. He's saying something along the lines of, I swear to God, I do not know who this Jesus guy is. I am swearing an oath before God. I have no clue who that dude is. He's saying something to that when he's swearing, but he's also cursing. Now, here's where scholars like to debate. What is he saying when he's cursing, and who is he cursing? Well, remember, our ESV here, if that's what you have in your hands, is implying that he was cursing himself, saying something like, may God strike me dead right now if I'm lying to you. Like he's cursing himself, trying to be over the top to convince them he has nothing to do with Jesus. That may actually be what he was doing. So that's option number one. Option number two, uh, and again, the Greek leaves it open for this, he could have been cursing them, challenging them, saying something like, how dare you? May God strike you down for even saying that about me. I can't believe this. You're going to go straight to hell, little girl. He could have been saying something like that, cursing them. And you know, when I think about that possibility, because the Greek leaves it open for that, I think that fits Peter's personality perfectly. He's so aggressive all of the time. He's, I mean, this is the guy who rebuked Jesus. This is the guy who attacked the, the, the soldiers. You think he's going to have a problem cursing some little servant girl and her bystander friends? Get out of here. You're going to go straight to hell talking to me like that. He probably said something along those lines. He's overly defensive. Now, you know, and I know, this is how the world works, right? When, when somebody is lying, and they're busted, and they get extra defensive, and they get really loud, and they get over the top, they're scared. People who are angry and have temper problems all the time, it's a, it's a, it's a fear problem, right? They're scared. They're running scared. And so the rage starts to come out, especially with us guys, right? When we get scared, we get loud. And tempers flare, the defensiveness gets over the top, right? I think that's really what's happening right here. He's so afraid because the accusations they're making against him are true, and he's lying, and he's busted, and he's afraid. And so his temper is getting out of control, and he's yelling back and forth with them. Don't miss the contrast that we're supposed to see here with Jesus, too. Remember, we studied his trial. And remember, remember when Jesus was on trial before Caiaphas and, and the Sanhedrin, they're falsely accusing him. They're coming up with all sorts of, of false accusations. And what's Jesus doing? He's completely silent. He's not even going to dignify their lies with a response. He's, he's silent, and that even fulfills prophecy. And then we see Peter, his little mini-trial. They're rightly accusing him, and what is he doing? Is he staying silent? No! He's getting overly defensive and loud and angry. He's calling down curses upon maybe himself, maybe them, swearing oaths before God, right? Let's look at verse 72. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter, Peter remembered how Jesus has said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. 
and he broke down and wept. Okay, I want you to see one more detail that's not in the Gospel of Mark, and it's so, so, so important if we want to really wrap our minds around the intensity of this moment and just why Peter broke down and bitterly wept. It's, it's Luke that tells us, again, this one little detail that as, as, as Peter's lost his mind, remember, remember why Peter showed up to this moment. He showed up so he could eavesdrop. He showed up so he could see what's going on with Jesus. He showed up so he could keep track of what's happening with these trials, Jesus before the Sanhedrin and high priest. But what happens is he gets all caught up in his own little, you know, activity. This, all this commotion, all these accusations. He's going back and forth with this little girl and with the bystanders. And he's totally lost track of what's happening with Jesus in the trial. And he's totally involved you know, emotionally, everything is in this moment defending himself. He's not a fly on the wall no more. He's at the center of attention in that courtyard. And it's at that moment that we see Jesus makes eye contact with him. Jesus is passing by. You know, one, one scholar I read even argues that when, when Peter was getting uh, overly defensive and calling down a curse, he wasn't calling down a curse on himself. He wasn't calling down a curse on them. He was actually cursing Jesus to convince them that he was not with him. He was cursing Jesus. May Jesus go straight to hell. He was probably, could have been, saying something like that. And it's in that moment, that's the moment. That Jesus, all of a sudden, is present there making eye contact with Peter. This is what Luke tells us. And immediately, while Peter was still speaking, while, while the words are still coming out of his mouth, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. No wonder... He wept so bitterly. I mean, to turn around after being caught up in that moment, losing control, to turn around and see Jesus passing by in shackles from one trial to the next, looking you straight in the, that must have just cut Peter like a knife. Probably just cut right to his soul. Busted. Jesus is watching. You know, I wonder if in that moment, if he recalled some of the things that Jesus taught Remember in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, Jesus, and, and Peter would have been present during this, said, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Peter witnessed that, and here he was denying Jesus before men, and Jesus is standing right there watching him while he does it. Ugh. This is the lowest point of his life. He's a disgrace. Is that it for Peter? All is lost. He's at the bottom of the pit. Sometimes in life you find yourself just at the bottom of the pit. This is it for Peter. This is the lowest it got. Jesus was looking at him right in the eye. And here's the question I want you and I to be able to answer when we walk away today. What kind of look was it? When Jesus made eye contact with Peter, what kind of look did he give Peter? Now you might say, well... We can't really know because it doesn't tell us. It just says that they made eye contact. Well, I think we can know. Now, if it were one of us making eye contact with Peter, I would say this was a, it would be a look of condemnation, right? Oh, of course, Peter, of course you're going to flip-flop, 
right? If we were in Jesus' shoes looking at Peter, catching him in that moment, or maybe when you catch someone in life in that moment, betraying you, we have this look of condemnation. Is that the look that Jesus had? No. No, not at all. You know, Christians take the, the look of condemnation at people all the time. And, and again, many of the same Christians that say, oh, I would never deny Jesus like that. Or if the time comes, I won't deny him. And then they go live their life a thousand times more unfaithful than uh, Peter ever did. But the, the only look of condemnation in this moment is the servant girl. She, was, she had that look. She was staring at Peter. She had the look of condemnation. She's getting all the bystanders to condemn him along with her. But Jesus isn't giving him a look of condemnation. Jesus is giving him the look that a shepherd gives to a sheep when he finds them, a lost sheep, and sp uh, more specifically. You know, when you find yourself in the, in the pit, and if you haven't been there before, you will be there, when you find yourself in that pit of despair and shame and you sense the presence of Jesus, people tend to do one of two things. They, they either, you know, run further, they either dig deeper, go away. They're, they're, they're so full of shame and despair, they, they want to get even further from Jesus. But, you know, when they, they sense or remember something about their faith, you know, they get overwhelmed and it drives them away. And then there's other people who understand the gospel. And when you sense the presence of Jesus in your life, when you're in the pit, he's not there to condemn you. The gospel tells us that he's there to, to save you. He's not there to, to shame you. He died for your sin and shame. He's in the pit with you to bring you back to the fold. That's exactly what he was doing to Peter while he was being condemned to death. While Jesus was on his way to die, he took the time to shepherd Peter. Peter remembered, oh man, he said, I'm going to deny him three times, and here I did it, and here he's looking right at me. But did Peter remember the rest of the sentence? Did, did Peter remember what else Jesus told him? We read it at the beginning of the sermon. Jesus said, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus' plan for Peter was to redeem him all along. He told him he was going to scatter. He told him he was going to deny him like everybody else. You're all going to run. But he was, always, he was already making provisions to redeem them. I'll go before you to Galilee, and I'll see you there. You're going to sin. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up. You're going to end up a place you never thought was possible. You're going to end up so low, you would have never imagined you could be that low. But I'm going to go before you to Galilee because I'm going to redeem you. What, a, what an amazing truth to remember, right, when you're in the pit? When you end up in a place that you never thought you'd get to, when, when you end up so low that you, know, you, you just didn't expect to be at that point at any point in your life, but even a few years before, you could have never imagined to be where you're at right now. Well, consider Peter. Consider where he ended up and consider how Jesus had a plan to redeem him all along because Jesus loves us just like he loves Peter. And the resurrected Jesus did, in fact, go before them to Galilee and redeem Peter. We're told about it in the Gospel of John. If you go to the very last chapter of John, John chapter 21, we are told about this moment. We get to see the redemption of Peter, this moment in which the resurrected Jesus went before them to Galilee. They're out fishing on a boat. Jesus is there. He cooks them breakfast. I bet you it was good. And he redeems Peter. He has this special moment with Peter. I want to read it to you. 
Notice how many times that he redeems Peter, considering how many times Peter denied Jesus. Let me read to you in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So Peter denies Jesus three times. Denies even knowing him. Jesus redeems Peter three times because you can't out the good shepherd. We think that our sin has the last word. We think that we can be too far gone. But Jesus is the good shepherd, and he is a better shepherd than you even are a sinner. And that may blow your mind. <laughs> he, that look that he gave Peter was to lead him to repentance and to restoration, and it did. And so Peter, in his life, having been in that pit, was now in a position which he could minister to people and to help them get through times of suffering. As a matter of fact, Peter, after this moment, he would go on to write a book, 1 Peter, and he would write things like this. Beloved, do not be surprised at at a fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when when his glory is revealed. So I hope Peter made sense to you today so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can make sense to you today. Jesus is not looking at you today. Maybe you feel uh, guilty. Maybe you feel unloved by God. If you feel the presence of Christ in your life, it's not this look of shame. It's not this look of condemnation. This is a look of, of someone who wants to redeem you, who loves you, who died for you. And this is the gospel that picks us up out of the pit, puts us back up on our feet, and carries us through life and sustains us. Uh, That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what we want to celebrate in communion right now. So let's pray. Lord, I pray for those here today who are in the pit. Lord, I I know there's, there's people here today that have that feel like they've been in the pit of despair for some time and they just can't get out of it. They just can't quite uh, get on their own feet. Lord, they, they feel your presence, but they feel paralyzed. Lord, help us to see uh, your presence through the lens of this moment in Scripture in which you redeem Peter. Lord, you are there with us to redeem us. And so, Lord, I pray that they would feel that look of redemption that look of love, the look of a shepherd who has gone to an extreme to find the one who has wandered off and fallen into the pit. 
And Lord, I pray that having known this and feeling uh, an understanding of the gospel, Lord, that this would uh, rejuvenate them, restore them. Lord, because when we're in the pit of despair and we come out of that pit, it's for a reason. It's not just so that we can have a better life or so that we can feel happy. Lord, just like you brought Peter out of the pit to minister to others, Lord, do the same with us. That when we know what it's like to be so low, we can minister to people in a way that we weren't previously able to. And Lord, help us to actively do that. Help us to actively encourage other believers and other people with the truth of the gospel, that we can make sense of the suffering. And Lord, you can use suffering in our life. You can use the lowest points in our life for your redemptive purposes. What an incredible truth. It sure makes it worth it. And Lord, I pray that we can uh, remember those truths today uh, during a time of communion. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay.